This is Sean, and you're listening to Promise, a podcast showcasing the heroes of tomorrow. Every episode is an exploration on the idea of promise itself. Whether that's the potential for success or the commitments we make to get there, I speak with exceptional, purpose-driven people on their journeys to change the world. My guest this week is Tina Funder, co-founder of Alt Leather. True to the name, Alt Leather is creating Australia's first 100% plant-based leather alternative by using agricultural waste. We discuss the enormous environmental costs of leather and textile production, the hidden pitfalls of existing leather alternatives, redesigning traditional manufacturing operations, the efficiency benefits of doing so, the huge range of possible applications for this material, and the importance of being principles-led. Please enjoy my discussion with Tina Funder. All right, today on the show, we welcome Tina Funder, co-founder of Alt Leather. Alt Leather is creating a plant-based leather alternative product. Tina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Very excited to be here. Excellent. We are very glad to have you on the Promise podcast. So, Tina, I would love for you to introduce yourself, describe your background, and what it is you're trying to do with Alt Leather. Yeah, sure. So I'm one of the co-founders of Alt Leather. It's been quite a journey to get here, but the short story is that a couple of years ago, I launched my own brand of plant-based leather handbags. And as part of that process, I did a deep dive into material innovation. And then that took me on a little journey and we're here. And what we're doing is we're really committed to helping solve the enormous textile waste problem with circular solutions. The first solution that we're looking into is a leather alternative that's 100% made from plants. And we're using a combination of agricultural waste and regenerative ingredients that will be turned into a material that can be applied across apparel, footwear, furniture, and automotive. So to put that problem in context, globally, we produce about 92 million tonnes of textile waste per annum and animal leather and plastic synthetic leathers are some of the most destructive. So it's a pretty big problem to solve, but that's what we're doing. Fantastic. Great introduction. Thank you. Now, your focus is on leather alternatives. So let's look at leather specifically and why we might need alternatives. So to begin with, You've just mentioned that creating animal leather can be really destructive. I'd like you to expand on that a little bit more. Obviously, there's the animal treatment concerns that somebody might care about. But what other issues are there with animal leather products and why should we look to alternatives? Yeah, this is a great question because so often people will say, but hang on a minute, isn't animal leather just a byproduct of the meat and dairy industry? But if we look at the production of animal leather from cradle to gate, we know that cattle obviously need a lot of land and water and food to grow over a number of years. And this is a crazy stat, but if you picture the earth and the global surface area, about 45% of that is occupied by cattle grazing systems. And that's obviously a major cause of deforestation, greenhouse gas emission and eutrophication. Obviously, there's the water used to that the cattle drink and then the feed supplies that go into cattle. So it's a massive amount of the earth's surface that is occupied. 
And then as part of the tanning process, huge amounts of water are used and wasted in that process and a lot of toxic chemicals. And in many instances, there are plastics and silicones that are also used to finish tanning the leather. So when you look at all of that as a whole, it's really not amazing for the planet. And then that obviously doesn't even take into consideration the unethical treatment of animals and the workers who are in the system too. Right. Okay. Thank you so much for paying a bigger picture for us. Now, looking at leather alternatives, as part of that broader ecosystem you mentioned, well, you've got to also take into account things like the feed that might go into feeding the cattle and so on. Looking at plant-based alternatives, well, if you're going to create plant-based leather, you're obviously going to have to grow plants in order to meet this need. Now, I've seen things marketed as vegan leather and things like cactus leather, seen ads for those plenty of times before. So I'm curious, what issues do those materials have that alt leather is trying to account for? Yeah, yeah, this is also an amazing question. First of all, vegan leather is a term that's used for absolutely any leather-like material that doesn't contain animal products. Yeah, it's kind of a complex category, so I'm just going to break it down in simple terms. It can include leather alternatives that are PU or PVC synthetic-based leathers, as well as next-gen bio-based leathers like apple and cactus and pineapple, as you've mentioned. But PVC and PU leathers, they're very cheap to produce, so that's the appeal, that their price point's really low, but they're made from petroleum-based plastics, so it's really best to avoid these. Then there's also recycled PU options, which is like any recycled option of anything, a better option, but still plastic-based. And then we move into the bio-based leather alternatives. And what this means is that some form of that material is bio-based. So it might be made from 50% apple or 50% cactus, but then it's bound by a polymer of some kind. A lot of those materials, those bio-based materials, they still use PU to bind those bio-ingredients. So it might be that the cactus is dried out and ground down, but then they'll use a PU to bind those ingredients together. And you can have a range in percentage as far as the bio is concerned. It can be, obviously, if it's based, it's typically a large chunky percentage, so 30% up to a pineapple leather, which is 90% bio-based. So that's obviously a better option to choose. It's pretty important that everybody does their homework before they're selecting the materials. But one thing I will say is with these bio-based leather alternatives, they're obviously looking to progress or improve from an environmental perspective where we are in terms of the plastic options. From a life cycle assessment perspective, they are way, way better than using a pure PU or PVC or using an animal leather because they greatly reduce the water used, the carbon emissions and all of those kind of things. But what we're trying to do and what we are doing successfully is producing a material that has zero plastic at all in it's 100% plant-based. So no PU, no PVC, no acrylic coatings and no nasties. And then on top of the bio-based leathers, there are also companies that are looking at entirely lab-produced leathers. So made from cellulose bacteria or microbes and even animal cells. So yeah, it's a really broad category and there's some exciting stuff happening in it. Yeah, amazing. I am super keen to dive into what 100% plant-based leather actually entails. But given the enormous amount of detail that you've been able to share with us already, 
I am also really interested to dive into your background, Tina. And well, just learn more about the the deep dive that you've done into this industry that led you to start this company. So to begin with, you used to work in a variety of creative agencies, as far as I'm aware. So you went from there to then making handbags and then on to alt leather. So talk us through that story, that journey. What was it that spurred you on to take each of those steps? Yeah, for sure. So yes, it has been quite a ride. If we go back to the very start of my career, I worked in the creative departments of some the really big agency networks for many years. So advertising agencies. And it was a really exciting place to be. I loved the creative and problem solving parts of the business. I also loved that it was hyper collaborative. So always working in teams. It was really, really high pressure. I, I thrive on deadlines and high pressure in high pressure environments. But I was always seeking for something that was more purpose driven personally. About three and a half years ago, I started my own creative consultancy and I specifically chose to work on sustainably focused businesses. And still in the back of my mind, I suppose product innovation was lurking there. I really wanted to create something of my own. And in about 2019, I had read about this new leather-like textile that was being made out of cactus in Mexico. And it blew my mind because I'd never considered it. And at this stage, I hadn't really looked too deeply into the fashion industry and the impacts that we're now all hyper aware of. I became obsessed with this material innovation and then also obsessed with the destructive side of the fashion and textiles industry. And something about it just resonated with me and I felt compelled to do something. And so that's how I launched my handbag range, which is LOM Australia. And I'm using cactus material and apple material. And I'm also testing a whole bunch of other materials. There's uh, a couple in particular that I'm really keen to start using on my handbags. But over the course of that process and doing that deep dive into the available materials, I realized that there were some gaps in the market in terms of completely plastic-free alternatives. And yeah, so now here we are. I felt compelled again to do something about that. And I pulled a team together and yeah. Now we're doing it. Fantastic. You, you know, you're not the first person that we've had on the show who has come from a design and fashion or adjacent background who has decided to move into the circular space. Um, so if anybody wants to check that out, episode one of the season with Sarah Smith. I actually just listened to that episode. It was really great. I love her. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. I will pass on that feedback. Okay. So making this most recent jump, right? It, it's obviously you founded a company before that has its ongoing revenue stream. What made you decide that you needed to take the further step and that creating a 100% plant-based leather alternative, this would be my mission. And yeah, what opportunity did you see here? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it was always the material side of thing that I was most interested and passionate about and that was why I, I launched the handbag range in the first place. But when I think about it deeply, it's the material that I feel can make the largest impact. And so it, I just kept on thinking I can be doing more, I can be doing more than um, selling the handbags and not to say that selling the handbags isn't amazing in itself because it gives us an incredible consumer insight. 
it's great for understanding that end consumer mentality. And it's also really, really great for validating the fact that there is demand there and that we are seeing a shift from consumers and they are demanding more from the brands as far as uh, choice of raw materials and all that kind of thing. But I feel that I can make a greater impact environmentally by developing the material and making sure that the material that we're using that could eventually feed into our brand itself is as good as it possibly can be. That's definitely the big driver for me and now the team. Yeah, excellent. And that is a great lead into my next question, which is about your team. So I've had the pleasure of meeting one of your co-founders. I know there are more. So please talk me through, firstly, how you shared your mission with them and and got this ragtag bunch together to go, all right, we're going to change the world with alternative leather. Yes, I'm so excited about our team. I really, I get so excited about it. I genuinely think we've got some of the best people in the world working on our project. And to their credit, everyone really from the moment I've brought it up has jumped into this project headfirst from the very beginning. And I I genuinely think that it's a demonstration of the power of being value aligned and sharing a common purpose. But in answer to how I met them all, Pete Taitoko, who is our ag manufacturing partner, I've known for quite a few years through our kids, actually. And we spent quite a lot of time on the sidelines at football matches, just talking about what he was doing and what he and his team of scientists and engineers are amazing at is going on farm and making sure that the processes are really well established and sustainably focus, but also making sure that there's no on-farm waste and they're reinventing food systems to ensure that nothing goes to waste. You can see how that fits in really directly with what we're doing. And he was the one who actually really got me excited and said, you really should be doing this. You really should be creating this leather. Pete's been on board and one of his team members, Brendan, they do all of our machinery sourcing and manufacturing feasibilities and they're just amazing, super positive guys and awesome. Then you mentioned my co-founder, Antona. We've also known each other for a number of years through a mutual friend, and he actually came on board really early days, so mid-last year in an advisory capacity because he had recently completed a PhD focused on sustainability and energy transitions and making sure that manufacturing processes are, again, really well-structured to ensure that they're as sustainable as possible. But he's also a qualified chemical engineer. So he was amazing in an advisory capacity, but I was so excited when at the start of this year he decided to come on board full-time as a co-founder with me because together we have incredibly complementary skill sets and it's accelerated everything that we're doing massively. Then we also consult with a really highly specialised scientist who is a leather technician and an absolute world leader, world class. And then we're also partnering with Jill Garnier, who's a professor and director at Biopria at Monash University. And we're about to be full-time in at CoLabs with Andrew and Samuel, who are the founders of this amazing co-working lab space. So it's kind of like uh, we work, but for science in Brunswick. And those guys are just incredible as well. That's the team and a bit of background on how we got together. But as I said, everyone has been so excited to jump on board. Everyone's been donating their time in kind to date. We've, yeah, it's just, I'm so lucky to have everybody who's working with us. It's really, really exciting. 
And it's also amazing that by a sheer stroke of luck that you have all of these complementary skill sets in your personal network and you've had them for a few years as well. That's right. Oh, one thing I will add, though, is that I've learned about scientists and engineers that if you throw up a challenge, <laughs> they can't help themselves. They just want to solve it. So I think I've had that going for me as well. <laughs> Amazing. Which, yeah, absolutely will help your collective cause. Now, obviously, if you create this product and you're creating a company, let's say you're successful in creating this product. Well, you have been successful in creating prototypes of this product you're going to have to sell it to somebody, presumably fashion brands, manufacturing clothing and bags and whatnot. So I'm curious how you went about validating the demand for this alternative leather with any potential customers that you might have. Yeah, so this is has been so important. And the short answer is that we're just talking to them. Our product it goes well beyond apparel and footwear. We're also talking to furniture makers and our stage two will be automotive interiors. Anywhere you see leather, we'll be looking to be working in that space. So even interior design, it's a really broad spectrum. But we are meeting with them personally. We're discussing their approaches to sustainability and sourcing of raw materials. We're learning about the pain points that they have with existing materials, the price points, the volumes, and really getting a deep understanding of where the opportunities lie for us. And I would say that that's just an absolute must for A, building relationships with potential clients, but also just ensuring that we nail the product market fit. Every conversation we have has been we've learnt something different. It's been super valuable. And we're building our database for potential clients at the same time. Fantastic. It's great to hear that there's interest in non-leather alternatives. Absolutely. So let's talk about alt-leather itself, the material itself that you're trying to create. I'd love for you to describe it in more detail, what it's made from and how and whether or not it matters what the input ingredients are. I I'm aware you've listed the skills of your co-founder, so I don't expect extreme detail in the manufacturing process itself, but please share what you can. Yeah, no worries. Every ingredient choice absolutely matters. We've got a number of different inputs. And I guess if you think about it, that we're trying to emulate animal skin with the plants that we're choosing, that's a good way to picture how we're deciding which ingredients we choose. Each one has a really critical part to play. Not only in, in the construction, we're also thinking long-term as far as scale. So we want to make sure that the ingredients that we're choosing are readily available overseas so that when we scale internationally, we can scale horizontally as far as picking up the model that we create in Australia initially and transporting it overseas. As far as our choices go, we're also really focused on waste streams. Wherever possible, we want our ingredient inputs to be from a source of waste. And then if we choose regenerative plants, we want to make sure that we're not taking from table. So, for example, one of our key ingredients that is a regenerative ingredient grows on marginal land. It's a huge carbon sequestrator and also the entire plant is used. For example, part of it is used as biofuel to power the extraction process of our material. And I can't say too much about the exact ingredients, but I can say that we're using really fibrous plants. We're using some as fillers. We're using some as binders. And then we're also looking into natural color 
natural dyes and natural coloring plant-based ingredients as well that's actually going to be one of our massive challenges and if anyone knows of anyone who's working in that space we're really interested in talking to them we do have a dream to work with indigenous australian artists on some of our colors so yeah anyone who is working in that space we would love to hear from them excellent okay well we'll remind people at the end of the show as well perfect Now, I understand that when you've gone through this whole manufacturing process, the material actually comes out in rolls, unlike, obviously, with animal leather, which is animal-shaped, it's hide-shaped. What are the benefits of actually producing something in rolls? Yes, I love this question. So basically, producing in rolls means that there's less waste for manufacturers. As you rightly said, can envisage the shape of a cowhide with all of those wavy edges and also marks from scars that are naturally caused by rubbing up against trees and things like that. You can imagine just how much of that actually goes to waste versus a linear roll of flawless material. Just to also get a little image in people's heads with one of our potential clients, a furniture maker, we went out to their factory and we did a walkthrough and we had a look at these were fabric textiles, so um, wovens that they were using, but we could apply the same when we produce our material. They basically, what they do is they have these massive machines that have a, a digital screen attached to them and they feed the material roll into the machine and the digital screen has almost what looks like a Tetris game on it, but the Tetris pieces are each a part of a piece of furniture. So they have a whole couch. It's broken up into these little Tetris pieces and the screen actually figures out exactly how to laser cut that piece of material to ensure that it minimizes waste compared to an animal hide where it's obviously a much more difficult and challenging shape to, to figure out how to maximize that. At the end of the day, a linear roll means way less waste. And it also means less waste as far as uh, when we're producing the rolls, if we have little edges that aren't straight, we can cut those off and then we can grind that part of our material down and feed it back into our system. So, yeah, less waste at every stage of the production. Amazing. You just answered one of my follow-up questions just then. Fantastic. (laughs) But at the same time, I kind of feel bad about my leather couch now. I know, I know. It's really hard. I mean, everybody loves leather. So that's that's part of the education that we have to do. It's great that you can use all of the offcuts as well. Now, part of the motivation for creating this product in the first place is that it is a quote-unquote circular product, right? It forms part of the circular economy. So I guess there's two questions that feed out of this. The first one is, how important was it to you that this product needed to be circular? And the second was, what is the the end of the life cycle of this? What happens to alt leather products at the end of their use? Yeah, circularity is everything to us. And we're trying to reduce waste at every part of our process, whether that's with our raw material input that we've talked about. So using agricultural waste on farm, but also throughout the manufacturing process, as we've described. So using closed loop manufacturing systems, making sure that our raw material extraction is kept to a minimum, making sure that any water we use, which is, by the way, very, very minimal, but that that is always circulated back through the systems that we're using. Circularity is everything in terms of manufacturing. And then we are aiming for multiple end-of-life pathways. In an ideal world, people and brands who are using alt leather will be able to return products made from alt leather 
to us and we'll be able to grind it down and then recycle it back into our systems. But as a worst case scenario, if you were to actually grind the material down and sprinkle it in the garden, it wouldn't leave a negative trace. It wouldn't have a negative impact. Yeah, so circularity is extremely important. And it's interesting that you asked that too because when we were first developing the hypotheses for our bioformulas, which happened, by the way, over a course of about six months, we did initially say, okay, how can we get a product to market as, as fast as possible to make sure that we've got revenue coming in, which is obviously a really critical part of a startup. And one of the ways was going to be wavering a little bit on that circularity. And we ended up just saying, no, that's not what we're about. And we moved on to a new hypothesis. So yeah, circularity is very, very important to what we're doing. Excellent. And obviously part of that circular process is that you're using agricultural waste as one of the input materials. Now, I'm curious because this is something that gets raised in circular economy conversations a lot is the actual logistics behind getting a waste product to become the feed-in product for something else. So I'm curious what the logistics situation is like for you to get agricultural waste from where it's generated on farms to where you would need to manufacture. Yeah. Yeah, good question. We are sourcing all of our ingredients except for one in Victoria. And I'll start with probably our key ag waste source. We have a supplier and we've been really careful with that choice of supplier in that we know that they're starting to use regenerative farming on farm. And that's one thing that we're really into as well is making sure that they've got really great practices in place on farm. Basically what they do is they'll harvest their crop and then they're left with all of this sort of tough stems and stalks on their farm after they've taken what's commercially valuable for what they're doing with that crop. And then typically what they do, and we've seen this and we've actually got imagery of all of this, is that they then can't reseed, they can't re-sow for the next harvest with all of that stalk and stem in place. They actually have to remove it. It is 100% a waste. And they'll then dry it out and bale it into massive 300, 500 kilogram bales, and then they incinerate that on farm. In other suppliers, they'll actually have to pick that up and transport it off farm for it to then decompose either in landfill or decompose in a part of farm that's not in use. So obviously incineration and decomposition are not ideal. The great part of our story is that we can valorize that part of the process for the farmer by removing it for them. But then obviously in turn, we're diverting it from being incinerated or diverting it from decomposing in landfill. With this particular supplier that I'm talking about, They've got the space and the infrastructure in place for us to actually do part of our milling on farm using biofuel. It means that we're not transporting massive bales of this fibrous material, which has a very high percentage of water in it as well, don't forget. So that's adding weight and large volumes that you're having to transport. The benefits are twofold in that part of the milling is done on farm, so we're not having to transport that additional waste, but also it means that we're getting supplied with a really consistent product. We'll mill this waste stream on farm and then the powdered form of it will be transported to our central manufacturing hub. But, yeah, we are going to have to do that with all of the ingredients that we're inputting from slightly different areas of Victoria. Gotcha. Okay, understood. Speaking of ag waste, again, you're not the first guest that we've had on the show who is making use of ag waste. So in season one, episode 
seven, I believe, I met with the co-founders of UbiPack, who are trying to create a disposable plastic replacement using ag waste. Now, with that in mind, obviously, you have competitors in sourcing ag waste. So I guess from a farmer's perspective, why should a farmer sell to Alt Leather rather than to someone else? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think it depends on the value that you're adding for that farmer. For some, the value might come from just you actually clearing the waste for them and covering the transport costs to remove that from farm. For others, once they realize that it is valuable to you, they probably want to see a profit there as well. The other thing is that I think it comes down to us making sure that we're not putting our eggs all in one basket. Obviously, what you want great working relationships with your suppliers, as I said, valorizing that process, but also making sure that you have multiple supply streams is really necessary to mitigate the risk that you're talking about, which is competition, but also to mitigate the risk from a climatic perspective too. For example, if there's a bad season somewhere or if there's extreme weather conditions somewhere, making sure that you've mitigated the risk by having multiple suppliers is, is really important. Okay. Awesome. I did have a follow-up question in regards to the sourcing of materials themselves, and hopefully you're able to answer this. Okay. So looking at the inputs from ag waste, now there's going to be specific plants that you would use or the waste of specific kinds of crops. Yeah. Now, does that make them time critical? Are they seasonal things that you can only source from at particular times of the year? How do you navigate that if that is an issue? Yeah, yeah. This is another really good question that we're working through. And we'll also, we're about to start the Sprout X Accelerator program. That's an ag-focused accelerator. And the first stage of that will be introducing us to suppliers and figuring out all of those logistics that you're talking about in a lot more detail. But most of the ag waste that we are working with, they're multi-seasonal, so they might have one or two seasons throughout the year. That's the answer to that question. But where it's not, we are going to have to figure out storage solutions so that we can get the ag streams, do the milling part of the process, and then the transportation to our central manufacturing facility, where there'll have to be some form of storage so that we've got that continual supply. But at this stage, there is massive, massive amounts of ag waste that are available for us to tap into. So we're not too worried about having a supply issue. Excellent. You've also made a fantastic easy lead-in for me to my next question which is looking towards the future of alt leather. You're just about to start the Sprout X Accelerator. Congratulations. I'm curious what the next steps for you are beyond that. Like what what work remains to refine the product, what your roadmap is, if you're able to share. Yeah, for sure. Look, what we're doing is creating this extremely complex material. It's exciting that we have our base material, but we still have to do a lot of R&D into how we've fine-tune and finesse that to make it commercially ready. So we've got about a year's work, we think, to do on that. We've actually, in the last week since I think I spoke to you last, Sean, we've made massive progress with what it's looking like now. So we had a really exciting couple of trials that happened in the last week, which was awesome. And then we need to refine the texture and the colour range. So that's, again, that's R&D that will probably be ongoing forever, to be honest. But we're aiming to have a commercial product to market by mid-2024. 
we'll need to work really fast to achieve that, which is why we're getting into labs full-time from now and why we're partnering with people like Biopria at Monash who will help us accelerate that. Excellent. Okay. Speaking of partnerships and your roadmap for the future, you've already mentioned that you would like to partner with Indigenous artists. Now, are there any other dream organizations that you'd want to partner with and any additional skills that you think you would need at Alt Leather? Yes. Look, initially, we're looking to partner with Australian brands and those with a really strong Australian heritage with international reputations and that are increasingly focusing on their sustainability and their processes and their use of circular raw materials. We would love to work with brands like Country Road, for example, even Qantas, just if you think those massive brands that sing Australia, they're the ones who we're really focusing on. That's the answer to that. And then as far as additional skills that we need, look, I'd love an AA right now. (laughs) That would be amazing. But to be honest, where we are right now, I'm super happy with the team that we've got and we've got all our key players in place and a really supportive network. But yeah, look, if we if we won the lotto, I'd bring on a comm specialist, I'd bring on probably an additional technical scientist, and I'd definitely bring on an AA. <laughs> well, perhaps if anybody from either of those organizations is listening, please feel free to reach out. We'll get Tina's contact details at the end of the show. Now, looking towards the far future of Alt Leather, grand vision, if everything goes right for you, what do you think the world looks like? Yeah, I think we'll have an Australian headquarters. I think we'll scale horizontally to India or Southeast Asia and beyond. And I think we'll be supplying global brands with our material across all of the categories that we've mentioned. And then I think we'll be expanding our range into other circular materials. Oh, as well. Okay. I wasn't aware about that. We absolutely will into textiles, even um, plastic replacements. We can expand in lots of different directions from here for sure. Yeah. Awesome. And that obviously has massive environmental implications as well. Now, you have loudly called out for help with an EA. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm curious what you think you personally need to do to, to get yourself and to get alt leather to that future that you envision. Yeah, I need to get more sleep. <laughs> I need to win the lotto. Um, I need to make sure that our scientists have everything that they need to succeed. And I need to keep talking to the right people in the right places to make sure that we can get it going and get it going fast. That is a great way to wrap up the conversation. Tina, thank you so much. The last thing that I'll get you to do is to share any social media or contact info in case people are curious about alt leather and want to get in touch. We're not massively active on socials, but our website is alt-leather.com. We're also on LinkedIn, Alt Leather, and you can contact me directly at tinafunder at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from everybody. Excellent. Thank you once again, Tina. Thanks so much, Sean. That's it for today's episode of Promise. Be sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Do you think you or someone you know would have ideas worth sharing? Send me an email to sean at promise.fm. Otherwise, subscribe and stay tuned to learn from tomorrow's heroes and what we've got is promise.